a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to The Hub on CGTN. I'm Wang Guan. The COP28 in the United Arab Emirates has brought international community together at a critical moment for global transformative climate action. Cities, in particular, contribute over 75% of global greenhouse gas emissions, and rapid action is crucial to meeting targets set at the Paris Agreement. At the China Pavilion at COP28 in Dubai, several city officials and stakeholders shared their views on how climate actions can be synergized with regional socioeconomic development. Uh, we're in Dubai, and we're thoroughly impressed with um, what the city has to offer. I think um, when I say this, I'm speaking on, on behalf of quite a number of them. Um, maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about Dubai's experience in decarbonizing. So when it's come to Dubai and the climate change agenda, we, we do believe that it's an opportunity for us. The green agenda of the of UAE 2030, it's a comprehensive agenda and deals with the green uh, agenda. By this agenda, we do believe that it will bring about 4 to 5 percent to our GDP. It's yeah. increasing the GDP by some 4 to 5 percent. Yes. Every year. Yeah. Our aims is uh, to be among the top uh, 10 sustainable uh, economic globally. For that, we have something called Dubai Manufacturing Sector Strategy. Um, it aims to double the contribution of manufacturing sectors by, uh, by two times, which equivalent to uh, 58 billions, and it will create 94 jobs for, for our people. Our commitment to the climate, urban climate, it's a strategic investment for our people and for uh, well-being for our people. So, Mayor Zhang, we know that Shandong province is the leading area of grain development in China and the replacement of the old growth drivers with new ones in China has been taking place for quite a while. Moreover, Yantai is this very beautiful coastal Chinese city in eastern China's Shandong province. Can you perhaps introduce Yantai's experience in grain transition and in terms of replacing the old growth models with new ones, especially when it comes to balancing green benefits and social and economic benefits as well. Yantai's current clean energy installed capacity has reached 12.4 million kilowatts, exceeding half of the city's total installed capacity. We are also speeding up the construction of a new energy system to build three 10 million kilowatt power bases, including a nuclear base, a wind power base, and an offshore photovoltaic base. We estimate that Yantai's clean energy installed capacity will exceed 60 million kilowatts by 2035, and the annual green power generation will exceed 290 billion kilowatt hours. That amounts to nearly five times the total amount needed by Yantai's social economic infrastructure. We have also been promoting green and low-carbon transitions in industries, particularly in the manufacturing industry, planning for the layout of a number of green parks and zero-carbon factories. I'll give you an example. Local enterprise Dongfang Electronics Corporation Limited has built a green, low-carbon industrial park with photovoltaic power generation, energy storage systems, and smart maintenance. The annual carbon emission of the entire park is negative 360. 
1,069 tons, which has set an example for the green and low-carbon development of the manufacturing industry as a whole. The third transition we promote is green and low-carbon urban development. In terms of city construction, we are developing super-low and zero-energy buildings. In transportation, we are building a green travel system, promoting the use of new energy vehicles and constructing zero-carbon ports and green airports. In terms of daily city life, we have been using nuclear energy for zero-carbon heating since 2019. This approach alone can save 900,000 tons of raw coal and reduce carbon dioxide emissions by 1.65 million tons. So Chairman Liu, we know that Fuzhou is a flagship city of green development in China. Can you tell us some of Fuzhou's experiences in terms of green transformation? What tangible benefits has it brought to the citizens, the residents of Fuzhou? On October 28th, the first World Cities Day in China, Fuzhou was given the Global Sustainable City Award. In recent years, we have implemented a comprehensive ecological management of the Minjiang River Basin in Fuzhou. We aim to manage our city in a resilient and safe way, with right technology and sufficient funds. Fuzhou residents take Minjiang River as their mother river. Our administration and management of the ecosystem along the river is thorough and comprehensive. We have also cleaned 139 inland rivers in the city. The management of the water system has helped better distribute water resources in the city and reduce negative impacts caused by the rivers. Councillor Chen, uh, you're from Sydney, we're representing Sydney. Uh, this is a very romantic city. You're building this like Sydney 2050 vision. Uh, maybe you can tell us a bit about uh, the Sydney's experience in combating climate change uh, and in uh, fighting some of the toughest challenges and how you're overcoming those challenges when it comes to a green transition. Sydney is looking forward to 2050 and it's been great to see other Chinese cities and the work, especially towards embodied carbon. As an architect, for me, buildings and how we actually design and look at the material value of our built environment becomes critical towards the race to net zero. In Sydney, we're focused on operational carbon. In fact, these targets are focused on achieving renewable electricity generation by 2026. Of course, this has been challenging for us. We have worked with 10 of Australia's most influential property developers over five years. It has taken a long journey to reach. For us, we already through my committee have approved three to four buildings which have said, yes, we want to develop a new buildings in Sydney and they will be operationally net zero by 2026. Of course, we also need to look at retrofitting our old buildings. And this is the work that we've done in terms of an alternative pathway to ensure we get there. It is important for us to also understand how we are cooperating with those who might have solutions, those financing. Just last month, our city of Sydney has opened the largest climate tech hub that's been co-located near the Opera House. 400 ecopreneurs are co-located with funders and investors so that we can attract not just talent, but the latest local solutions. 
For us, climate financing is important. And as a city, we also have a role to play to enhance the ecosystem, but also really scale and ensure there's resilience and sustainability in the local solutions here in Sydney. Director Tang, we know that Shanghai has the earliest carbon trading market in China. And by doing so, it has accumulated quite a bit of experience in this uh, area. In particular, we know that, in fact, the establishment of the carbon trading market is not easy. It hasn't been a smooth sail. The European Union, for example, has spent decades trying and enriching their own experience, not without trials and errors. Can you share Shanghai's experience on establishing the carbon trading market in coping with its economic development and uh, with the replacement of the old growth drivers with new ones? Shanghai is a mega city with a population of 25 million, so there is great pressure on reducing carbon emissions. The establishment of a carbon market in Shanghai is one of the measures to deal with climate change. Through carbon emission trading on the market, we try to optimize resource allocation to channel the resources to fields and industries that maximize environmental and economic economic benefits, so as to promote the transformation of industrial structure, energy structure and the transportation sector. So far, 357 enterprises have entered the carbon market, and more than 1,000 investment institutions actively engage in carbon trading. The market has accelerated Shanghai's low-carbon and green transition. Comparing 2020 with 2015, the proportion of coal consumption in Shanghai's total energy consumption has dropped by 11.8 percent. The intensity of carbon emissions has dropped by 25.4 percent. The proportion of green electricity in its total electricity consumption has increased to 36 percent. Recently, the number of Shanghai's new energy vehicles reached 1.18 million. Shanghai might be the number one city worldwide that has the most EVs. His Excellency Mr. Abdullah Al-Basti, um, we all know how global uh, and how cosmopolitan Dubai is. Over half of the population is from uh, is non-Emiratis, they're from the rest of the world. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how Dubai is leveraging on international collaboration, the utility of international cooperation when it comes to the fight against climate change. It's a big city and it requires a lot of experience expertise and we, we are welcoming everyone. Dubai, 200, 300 years ago, started as a very small uh, port in, in the... Jesus. Fishing village, huh? It's very similar to uh, Shenzhen story in, in China. We are, we are sharing a lot of uh, similarity. So having uh, more than 200 nationalities in the city adds a lot to, to our uh, agenda. We do believe having this mix, it helps a lot to see and to find way. A lot of people coming, for example, from countries where they have really a very advanced practices on technology and uh, in the climate change. So that helps our organization, helps also our people to, to learn and sharing, share experience from them and try to implement some, some of them here in Dubai. What is the priority right now for the city of Dubai when it comes to the green transition? Now people talking about the, the the green agenda and the social agenda and the economic agenda, we think in the coming days, we will talk about one agenda. 
and it's all about sustainability. Within this agenda, you will have a component that deals with the uh, different sectors. If we talk about our priorities, it's always about being one of the most sustainable city in the coming 10 years. It's not an easy, but we do believe that with the hard work and working with the colleagues and uh, well-esteemed organization like the C40 uh, doing such uh, things, I mean, and, and knowledge sharing with, with other cities, we, we will achieve, I think, the goal. Mayor Zheng, we know that Yantai has been actively implementing China's green energy transformation policy, and we also know that it has been promoting the Changda Ecological Civilization Comprehensive Experimental Zone, which aims at creating an international zero-carbon island project. Can you introduce to us what this international zero-carbon island is all about? We did a lot of work on ecology conservation on Changdao. For example, we removed all 80 wind power installations on the island for the good of migratory birds, Measures such as waste sorting, sewage treatment and full coverage of clean heating have been implemented across the island. An outstanding outcome is that the number of spotted seals has increased from less than 200 to more than 400. Da Heishan Island, as a part of Changdao, has become China's first negative carbon island. Last year, authoritative data showed that the carbon dioxide consumed on the island was negative 2,000 tons. Looking ahead, we have formulated a plan for building Changdao into an international ecological island that has the dual function of both carbon reduction and sequestration. The goal is to reduce Changdao's greenhouse gas emissions by 20% by 2027. In 2030, Changdao will be built into a zero-carbon island and a high-quality international ecological zero-carbon island by 2035. Director Chang, we know that the implementation of Shanghai's carbon trading market could not have taken place without uh, sound institutional design. So at the level of systemic design and institutional design, can you share some experiences with your counterparts around the world? Over the past 10 years, we have issued a government regulation to explain Shanghai's carbon emissions management measures and regulate all kinds of carbon market players. The second measure is the introduction of 10 MRVs accounting systems, which defines how to calculate carbon emissions. The enterprise accounting process also standardizes the behavior of third-party accounting. The third is a plan on carbon quota, a scheme for carbon allocation. That is, how much each enterprise can take which we will further improve. The fourth is the establishment of three systems, a reporting system, a registration system, and a carbon trading system. This is a platform for companies to report annual carbon emissions and their storage quotas, and for them to do free trading. Can you tell us a bit about Sydney's experience in terms of um, international collaboration, especially at city and municipal levels? Absolutely. I think it's really important to have that global city focus. I think we need to be open to how we can do this work through C40, through our own bilateral agreements. 
We have worked very closely with Gongzhou, which is our historic sister city. I think those kind of cooperations allow us to do this work. And you mentioned earlier about our 2050 strategy. We're doing that work over 18 years under the leadership of the Lord Mayor of Sydney, Clovermore, but also working with cities like Guangzhou in 2014, 2016, the Lord Mayor led the largest ever delegation that, this, that Sydney has done to Guangzhou to learn. I think we need to come to a place where we recognise that cities in China are also doing the same work. They are also um, looking at decarbonising transport, making sure that uh, the cities are compact, that we are looking after the citizens as well. Through the past year, learning about city-to-city -city links, city diplomacy for climate action, and we've been doing exchanges with 15 other cities in China, working with city officials and having that exchange both in China and Australia. So I think cities need to be able to listen to each other, and that's something that the city networks like C40 really helps with. This year, the third World Conference on Best Practices of Carbon Neutrality was held within the framework of the annual UN gathering for the first time. A record number of Chinese enterprises attended the climate conference, showing their latest progress in promoting a green transition while looking to boost cooperation with international peers. I think that uh, the urgency is clear to everybody. Unfortunately, actions are not fast enough. There has been a change between 2018, 2019 and 2020. That has been a moment in which for the first time in history since the beginning of the process that also our colleague was mentioning of the COP systems, for the first time political will has become evident. The first to take a decision was the European Union and I commend that responsibility with the announcement of the goal of climate neutrality by 2050, and the beginning of a transformation of the legal system, which is the Green Deal. Why am I referring to this? Because the COP are not probably the best place for making decisions, but they're probably the best place, and this is their importance for creating, establishing, sharing the consensus with all the partners of the international community. The transformation that has been set in motion largely by the manufacturing capacity of China that has brought down the price of solar, for instance, technology and other renewables components. This transformation, which will become an industrial transformation, an industrial revolution, is a fact. This is a trend. States are starting competing for green competitiveness. We are deciding who is going to lead also the economy of tomorrow. And the point of this COP, and that's why it's important, and the point of collaborating at the international level is to design the rules, the new rules for the new economy that we allow all parties to thrive and to share the burden, the investments, to create the opportunities for us all. I remember in 2009, 
I remember in 2009, when the Maldives cabinet held a meeting under water wearing scuba gear. The meeting impressed me the most when they said that within 50 years, the Maldives would be overwhelmed. There is another country called Tuvalu, parts of which were already submerged by seawater. For this country, short-term needs have overlapped with long-term concerns. However, for many others, reconciling long-term expectations with short-term demands poses a great challenge. Each time we gather at climate conferences like this, we are essentially discussing how to coordinate and synergize, and how to reasonably combine short-term and long-term demands. Consensus is not the problem anymore. Everyone can see that it's getting hotter. This year, over 100,000 people registered for COP28 in Dubai, and it's reportedly the largest group in history. Everyone is talking about temperature rise, so our consensus is not a problem, and the scientific consensus is not a problem either. Everyone knows what the outcome is when it gets hot. What we are actually talking about today is the political consensus on how everyone can work together. But when it comes to implementation, there are problems. Who will do it? Who will do it first? Who will fund it? These problems will be what we need to solve. The current global financial and economic situation, as we are all aware, is not very optimistic. However, we also have the carbon peak and carbon neutrality goals, and carbon reduction has a significant economic potential in the future. Currently, there is demand. But the question is where the investment funds comes from. Once investment is made, who will act at the hub in terms of transmission and allocation? In my opinion, while everyone is discussing differences and conflicts, I see opportunity. All innovation arises from knocking heads together. We took part in the Africa Climate Summit this September. As the only Chinese company present, we witnessed the launch of the carbon market involving over 20 African countries. We also participated in the work of Nairobi Declaration. During the market launch in Indonesia in September, we collaborated with the National Development and Reform Commission on the project. We find in regions such as Southeast Asia, as well as the ASEAN region and Belt and Road Initiative participating countries, there is a huge demand for carbon markets and the corresponding capacity building. Thus, we are determined in pursuing our international path to complement and assist in the internationalization of the Chinese market to respond to these demands. China has already actively engaged in international carbon asset trading. At present, China promotes. Dialogue with the U.S. and the Chinese President Xi Jinping put forward the eight-point agenda on the Belt and Road Forum, concluded two months ago. It shows our ambition on regional grain development and climate cooperation. I had the pleasure to be on the panel actually and shared my views on how media, the news media, can contribute to a better informed citizenry on the critical issue of taking climate actions. CGTN is the English language arm of China Media Group. We've been around for 20 plus years, but we rebranded and relaunched、uh, in the past couple of years.、Uh, that is, in fact,、uh, um, understand us as the English language arm of、uh, China Media Group. We do have a, a very extensive media footprint around the world,、uh, in the developing world as well as in North America and Europe. We're here to talk about climate. And climate has been a very, very heavy focus 
for as long as I can remember. We dedicate a lot of chapters, a lot of paragraphs, and airtime and digital space to covering issues that we think are important、uh, to galvanize the world to take actions, such as climate change. For this COP, for example,、uh, we focus very aggressively on the vulnerable communities. I myself interviewed the Minister of Indigenous People in Brazil, and also the Vice President of Bolivia, who is a Native American, by the way. If you look at Bolivia,、uh, some 70 and 80 percent of the population there are of、um, you know indigenous descent or of、uh, European and indigenous、uh, mix. Also, we talked to the Mayor of Athens, who is also vulnerable to climate change.、Uh, Considering their unique geopolitical location, we consider ourselves a champion of the global south.、Um, we care about projects concerning our collective future or collective interests, such as climate change, focusing on people such as the vulnerable groups around the world, and、um, to give a voice to the voiceless in the global south. I remember back in the day in 2014, for example,、uh, when we uh, interviewed uh, then U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry. I was really surprised. Kerry's office made one request. He said. I can give you this interview, but you've got to ask me one question on climate change. If you agree on this question, prerequisite, I'll give you this interview. That was June 2014. But all this changed in 2014. I was on the campaign trail covering Trump, covering Rubio, covering Cruz. A lot of folks are arguing that、um, where's climate change? Where's global warming? And the lobbyists and those workers working on the, the mines and industries that、uh, they've known for their lifetime. Are arguing against action on climate, and I think that is really unfortunate. But the silver lining is China and the United States are picking up momentum once again. I hope this window opportunity can be extended.、Uh, usually things get pretty nasty during election year in the United States, but I hope that at least there can be a continuation and can be a, once again a bipartisan realization that the United States needs to work with China. On the very important question of climate, I like this,、uh, you know, comparison. If we encapsulate human history of the past recorded 2,000-3,000 years into 24 hours, 23 out of these 24 hours, we are at war. You know, we're competing, tribes fighting,、uh, nation states,、uh, you know, arguing over their borders,、uh, wars happening, conflicts,、uh, you know, extending out of their borders. Um, so I think we've got to focus on the larger and collective questions, such as climate change, and、um, the media do need to play a key part. That's it for this edition of the Hub. I'm Wang Guan. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you again soon.